So hello and welcome to Neurodivergent Moments uh, with me, Joe Wells and Abaglar Shamon. We did have Tom Horton on this episode and we talked about performing and um, Tom is dyslexic. Mm. And uh, we talked about his process in in a creating uh, comedy and writing that uh, might not be what we're all told. I don't know. I really took away from this episode, this interview, when we got into talking about the process of writing of just like, oh, I don't have to pin to the page at 9 a.m. in the morning, write till 12, take a break, go back until 5 p.m., you know. It was just really nice to hear him talk about, no, he doesn't, that's not how he works. And he creates wonderful stuff. He makes hilarious, hilarious, hilarious comedy. And I, I don't think that's how most writers work. I think, were you good at English at school? Depends who you ask. Um, <laughs> for some reason, there's been this myth in my family that I'm excellent at math because I can't spell. Right. Um, but I loved English and I loved writing and I used to love writing essays. I did like writing essays, but when it comes to writing stand up, if I try to write stand up, like pen to page, write stand up, it, it turns into a very literary essay. Mm. And I was in- always very bad at writing at school. Oh, really? And I think a lot of it, when I look back on it was how I was taught and you know we were taught that the way you write is you sit down you have a blank bit of paper and you go in the beginning or once upon a time and then you go and you just it flows along from there that's not how I don't know any writers who write like that but that's how you're you're taught at school yeah I think yeah and even when you start stand-up comedy and you're like a young comic and you're asking older comics for advice everyone says one of the things everyone says all the time is write every day, but no one tells you how. So I mm. think my entire life I've always thought, yeah, you sit down and you go in the beginning, this happened and this happened and you write it like and you spend hours writing. But yeah, that's in reality, at least Tom, at least you, at least me, that's not how we do it. And I don't know anyone who does. Yeah, you sort of start with a sort of skeleton of something and then it fills in you know it's more to me it's more like painting a you talk like it's like going on a walk like start at the beginning and then you finish at the end but it's mm. more like painting a painting to me you start with a, an outline of something and then you sort of try and fill it in a bit you know that there's um yeah the, the, it, it's not a how I was taught in school definitely that's beautiful that is two beautiful analogies you're right people treat it like a walk you go from a to b but you don't you start and then you add color and you add more detail and yeah that's I think so, people are so that's so, so individual <laughs> uh i think people are so individual as well where where you know there are some have you ever written with people and you go it's like being on like a first date and you go we're not compatible you're not oh, a bad yeah. person but we're not compatible and i think the way that particularly writing stand-up i write in a way that sometimes is I'm all, I'm always thinking about like what's like the idea or like the sort of um the the irony or the the sort of the loose idea rather than how does the joke work so I have like mm-hmm. a loose idea that can then be lots of different forms and some people are really all about the form and they can find the form in different and you know how how we're going to fit this into these forms um 
and sometimes yeah sometimes i've written people with with people and gone on a we're just not we're not compatible yeah for sure or just like the sense of humor like have you ever had someone be like give you punchlines and you're like i think you're missing the point <laughs> yeah 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 definitely because it is, it's, uh, this is a, the most obvious thing that will be said on this podcast, but humour is very uh, personal, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if that's ever been pointed out before. But it, it's, yeah, and sometimes people, and you can't explain it, you know, there will be, one of my favourite things is watching uh, Vic and Bob with my mum, because she doesn't get it at all. And she asks me to explain it, and I find that so funny. So there will be like, um, you've seen Shooting Stars, right? No. Oh, okay. Shooting stars. But so there's a bit in Shooting Stars where a car comes out and there's like a song and the car has like a bum on the back of the car um, and then it like farts the bum. And it's so funny. And they're all taking it very seriously and singing a song about how wonderful this car is. And it's just got like a human bum on the back of it. And I watch that and my mum will go, why is that funny? And I cannot explain to her why that's funny <laughs> other than it's got a bum on the back of a car and that's funny. <laughs> It's just, it's just simple. It's just simple. Yeah, that's, oh God, that's great. What was your sort of origin? When, when did you realize you were a performer? Oh, oh, as a child, all I ever wanted, I was one of those people who, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on Broadway ever since I was, I've I've never wanted to be anything else. I I never wanted to be like a doctor or a, or a, uh, you know, a, a, cowboy or whatever any other childhood thing i always just wanted to be a performer specifically an actor and uh that didn't pan out uh so now i'm a comedian which turns out to be a really great great outlet for me um but yeah i can't i can't remember not wanting to be a performer i did dance class when i was a kid i i majored in musical theater in school i was in theater and choir and band everything i could do to be on stage i did it are you glad you went towards comedy rather than acting then oh absolutely 100 percent. wait a minute before you're interviewing me let's go back for a second what, oh, sorry. what did you did you always want to be a performer as a kid or did you want to be something else how did you find you, this in your life i didn't this is a, a I had the cliche story of like, you know, the bullies picking on you. And then if you say something funny, then they sort of laugh rather than beat you up. And Mm -hmm. um, I think I had that sort of thing. And when I I remember having a moment in French lessons, we had a very sort of serious French teacher, but had no, she wasn't able to control the class at all. And in hindsight, we were horrible to her. (laughs) But we, so we're, we're, you know, things are chaotic. I made a paper aeroplane. And um, I wrote on one side of the paper airplane, this is a real plane. And on the other side, I wrote, yes, it is. And uh, I threw it across the classroom. A a gust of wind hit it and it landed on the teacher's desk. And she picked it up and said, look, look at how pathetic Joe is. Look what he's written on this airplane and reads to the class. On this side, he's written, this is a real plane. And on the other side, yes, it is. And I got a big laugh from the room, particularly in her sort of very, very stern, uh, you know, very sternly condemning what I'd written. Um, and that was, I remember that being a real moment of like, yes, I've, I've won here. Um, I've got a big laugh from this classroom. I'm going to be a star. <laughs> if you, at school, you've got an audience the whole time, haven't you? If you, if you can 
be a class clown. Yeah. You've, you've got, you know, and, and, and all day you've got an audience. So um, I was very much, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I was, um, I must have been a nightmare to have in the class. Nah, I bet you were a joy. I bet even the teacher, <laughs> I really picture that teacher reading that, trying to be all stern, and then doing that adult thing of like, I'm supposed to be angry, so I'm not going to laugh. <laughs> I don't think she got that, but she didn't get it at all. It was like my mum watching Vic and Bob. She was like, this is such a stupid thing to write on a paper airplane. This is a real plane. Oh. Um, but uh, So I think she thought she was shaving me. But but the, the, the kids got it. They got that it was sort of... Uh, a very clever anti-comedy thing that I was doing. No wonder you grew up to be a stand-up comedian, Joe Wells, because you were surrounded by adults who didn't understand your humor, and you were like, they're somewhere. I need to seek yes, these yeah, people yeah. out. It's to find my audience. <laughs> I have. Uh, there's a teacher who comes to see me at a regular gig I perform, and he also taught, just by chance, we both we taught two different state schools, another much, much more successful comedian, and sometimes they get drunk and tell me that he thinks that I'm better. <laughs> oh, that's always an exciting moment. <laughs> that's so much fun. And now in my head, I'm like, who is it? So what? What? What are your? What are your bat- war stories from um, from the comedy circuit? Um, so I don't have a lot of really, really bad ones. I will tell you that I um, just recently. I think within the last month, played the Belfast Empire. I'll go ahead and name it because I love that club and I will go back. Um, And I've done well there before, but I just didn't. I was was headlining and um, the thing is, is like whenever I bomb on stage, it's... I never get yelled at. I never have it. No one's ever thrown a shoe at me. Like, it's just people patiently waiting for me to be funny or leave. Like, it's just me, like, performing my ass off. And, like, the quieter they get, the bigger I get. The more I'm like, okay, I'll do it as a play. And I just, like, go full actor with it. And and they just sit there and they just watch And it's so painful because whenever I'm actually heckled, I do very well because I have something to push against. So I like, it's like, are you going to come after me? Well, I'll fucking come for you. I'm afraid of you. And I can get the audience on my side without issue. But when the audience is just quietly waiting for me to get it right, it hurts so badly because I can't get I I don't feel as a performer I can get mad at them for not enjoying me because they're giving me the chance. They're giving me their their attention. They're giving me their time and I'm not nailing it. And I hate it because it like I just so rather have someone shout at me than have an entire room of people just watch me and sort of titter every once in a while, which happened at Belfast this time. (laughs) And I just oh, it hurt my soul. So if you're going to see Abigail and you're not enjoying it, you just need to heckle and yeah. it'll, be, it'll get better. <laughs> yeah, it'll get better. It, you know, I know. I've I've bombed at Belfast Empire, which I think we all, all have. I had a really, my first time at a club that I really wanted to play. And just before I went on, I had a phone call about potentially doing a TV thing where I'd have to meet Piers Morgan. And I really didn't want to do it. And, uh, and that just took me completely out of the moment because I was thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to meet Piers Morgan. Um, I didn't in the end. It was all all okay. Um, But that really took me out of it. 
I really like how in my head it just went, I had this potential TV thing. Congrat. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Took a real turn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's uh, what's one of your uh, horror stories from the from the roads? Oh, God, I have so many. I have once where they were throwing sausage rolls at the compare. Big group of like in just throwing stuff and getting angry. This was a jongler's, wasn't it? Uh, it was well, no, it wasn't. It was an otherwise quite nice gig, but there was just the worst. The problem is with nice gigs is they don't generally need the security. So when you have horrible people go, they can't do anything about it because usually it's just nice people. Um, and yeah, the compare who is a very good compare was just getting nothing from their shouting out and just 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 ruining the whole show. I walked on stage and went hello, and I heard one of them go. Oh, not another one. And I don't know what that was. What I another, was another one, one of, of what? I don't know. Another comedian. Um, but they, they weren't happy. One time in Edinburgh, I was asked to go do a gig in Glasgow. And the way the person framed it was that it was going to be like this outdoor, cool festival stage, whatever. Like this really cool thing. And I show up and it's basically a stage on a street where everyone's kind of like walking by and people are sort of watching, but you know, it's broad daylight. Like this is not set up for stand up. Like it's like, if you're hula hooping, someone will stop. But mm. if you're just there being like, so, um, you know what I think about tea cakes, like no one's going to stop. And I looked at it and I just looked at the tack and I was like, I think I'm just going to go home. And God, <laughs> God bless, because it was free. I was going to do it for free. And I was like supposed to do like 45 minutes, something strange. Like this is very early on in my career when I forgot how to like, I didn't know to ask questions or like not to go perform outside on the street for 45 minutes. <laughs> um, but I looked at the tech and I was like, I don't think this is really for me. Um, I think I might just go home. And the tech just looked at me and goes, yeah, no, fair play. I um. I don't think this was this will do well for you. <laughs> like that's, you... It's horrible when you feel for... Because if someone's trying to just do their shopping, that's annoying having someone... You know, <sighs> even the best can be... Like, so when you start to feel for the audience, that's a horrible situation to be in. Yeah, I mean... Sometimes I get annoyed if I'm in a pub and then a band starts playing. Like, if a comic started talking while... I was out doing something. I'd just be like, I don't need this in my life. I did not <laughs> consent to entertainment right now. Shall we should we... bring Tom Horton to the... Yeah, let's bring to, Tom not to the stage. I'm so used to saying bring to the stage, but we're not bringing him to the podcast. Yeah. Bring him to your ears. Here we go. Let's do it. Tom Horton. Sorry. That's no okay. worries. No worries. Uh, it's the problem with living in a medieval castle. The uh, internet is genuinely shocking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> One thing I want to know is how I really. How often do people tell you the Raven fact like you wouldn't know it? Does that happen <laughs> a lot? Uh, not as much as is it haunted. That's, oh. the, that, that's the big one. People always ask if it's haunted. I actually. Uh, a friend of ours that you'll all know, Jim Campbell, mm. uh, came round and pointed out, um, you know, Tom, more people have died in your house than Ted Bundy's. And I was like, thanks, Jim. <laughs> that's, that's a really nice thing to, to point out. 
Oh, that makes me happy. I love that. I it's love that. Fun. Joe, can we have that as the beginning to the podcast? Yeah, I'll try right and mix there. it up. That's yeah. lovely. <laughs> Put that on and then we'll segue into the podcast. Um, we have mentioned that I live in the Tower of London, haven't we? I, I yeah, I just realized. Have, like, we should, we'll um... do that in the intro. We'll do that. Okay. We could do that in the intro. Oh, that's um, true, yeah. Tom Horton, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Abs. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Good to have you. Um, so, Tom, you have dyslexia, right? Or yes. Or you are uh, dyslexic. Uh, both those things. I have it okay. and I am it. I embody okay. it. I've been, yeah, I've been dyslexic for my entire life. It was only sort of, I very nearly went to an actual sort of specialized school for my dyslexia, but it was only my dad's uh, pride <laughs> that said, <laughs> said, no, he's going to a proper normal school and that's, and he'll learn. <laughs> and I think that actually helps, you know, I think, um, uh, yeah, I sort of from, sort of, I went to boarding school at six years old and uh, started having special classes straight away or the extra, uh, the extra time. Um, I don't think I've got a severe form of dyslexia, but it's definitely, you know, it's been there my entire life. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, were you formally diagnosed or is it something you've kind of realized over time? I was, I took tests and then they went, you know, they, they got me the extra lessons and everything. And I, I remember I didn't want to, cause I, I also had the ability Sorry, I, I was granted sort of extra time in exams and a special laptop and stuff, but I didn't take it because I didn't want to. I wanted just to prove I could do it on my own. <laughs> I should have done it. I'd have got better grades. I could be a lawyer by now, but instead, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably have invented something great by now, but uh, no, I, I didn't. I just, um, no. So but what was it like? Because, I mean, uh, there's no way, but we are from different socioeconomic yeah. backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. What was it like at a boarding school? Yeah, what, what, I, how, how are they as a neurodivergent I, person? I do want to point out that even though, Tom, you said your dad was like, no, he will have a normal education. Whenever you talk about your education, nothing less normal to me <laughs> than is your experience at school. As an I've, American yeah. who went to, like, a public American school. Yeah, I am. Um, but Tom did. Well, you did also go to a public school, but that means something very different over here. Yeah, it means a different thing here. So yes, public is a lie over here. It's about. <laughs> it's like it's like saying the Illuminati has an open door policy. It's it's really <laughs> it's really not the same. Um, I'll tell you about my schooling. So because I my father was my my dad's the ex head of the British Armed Forces, we moved around a lot as kids. <laughs> me and him and um <laughs> so basically you get this thing called the consistency of education grant it's for military kids so basically so you don't have to change school every year they send you to boarding school oh cool oh. i didn't it's know a... how that ha that's how that happened for you yeah so um I, I just always assumed you were like a legacy kid or something no because my 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 dad didn't come from sort of a big legacy. My dad was the son of a shopkeeper oh. and just oh. was very, very clever mm. and got a scholarship into private school and then went to Oxford and Sandhurst and then became who he was. But my, yeah, my, I got into my first boarding school because of the, the military grant. Then my senior boarding school, I got an art scholarship and got the same 
Grant as well. So, and those sort of schools, they they're interesting. I think because um, you learn, you know, I was you, know, you get like Latin lessons and stuff when you're sort of seven, eight years old and all that sort of stuff, and you get very small classes, so that helps. Mm. That's very good. You know, these other schools where you get, I mean, I don't know how many people were in your, how what size your classes were, but I hear of stories like 40. But ours, mine wasn't that. Mine were probably just over 30, I think. I think we're talking about sort of being right. between 30 and 35, something like that. See, my average is about 12. Oh, wow. 12, 12 14 a class. Yeah. Which was... is it's just so much more beneficial because you just get so much more focus on you. Yeah, I'd say mine were probably 25 to 30 in my graduating high school class. I grew up in a small town, so my graduating high school class was around 350, which Mm. is small. Like, some people graduate in America in classes of, like, over 1,000. Oh, your your year was 350? My year was 350 people. Ah, see, mine was 66. Okay, that's incredibly small (laughs) by American standards, or by my... By, by, any by the way I I'd grew say. up, yeah. Apart from homeschooling, I think it's probably. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, and then you said you got, like, special classes. What, like, I, uh, as much as I was like, we'll have Tom on to talk about dyslexia in true Abaglia form. I've done no research on it. So, like, what sort of, like, what sort of things are you taught or how do they is there a manage way of managing it that they teach you or what, what is it that? Yeah. I mean, it's a long time ago. I think um, for, for my, certainly my prep school. So it, this is, we're talking now six to 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it was just the very basic grasp of reading and writing and spelling was my big thing. I, I couldn't spell at all and not just as simply as sort of getting my b's and d's the wrong way around although i did get them the wrong way around all the time and even now when i type i am my brain thinks quicker than my fingers and so i will just add letters that are meant to be at the end of a word in the middle of the word because i've just thought of that letter coming up and i also i i spelt phonetically quite a lot so if it, if it, so if you had, if you had like the word because, I would just go but because. Ah, uh, <laughs> so yeah. B, E, C, O, Z, C, O, Z. Which makes perfect sense. Or superstitious mm. would be superstitious like that, and I, I don't know how my brain would go. I sound like R two D two trying to figure something out, <laughs> and um, so then. We'd have to have these long exercises, like so to spell because you'd then have um, a, a, a technique where I'd go big ants catch ants under small elephants, which is you know the first word letter of the word. Yeah. So, every, so even now when I write the word because I go big ants big ants catch ants under small elephants. That's how I remember it. The most embarrassing one is because I couldn't spell the word was. Because it was W O Z, so they were like, "Nope, Tom, worms are smelly." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so even even to this day, when I'm I'm spelling the word, Tom was here. Tom, worms are smelly. 
I feel like that's a whole different level of memorization right there. Like when you just sent out your mnemonic for it because I was like, well, that I, I can't possibly remember all that. That's that's, that's a lot. Yeah. A Are lot. they all from school or do you have your own set? Have you written your own ones? I should have done. Um, but the, to be perfectly honest, I, I, I was forced to learn these things rather than I found a sort of passion or love for it. Right. I, so I, I, I just wouldn't have done that. Um, I'd have gone off and painted something or drawn something because mm. pi- like pictures, are, uh, I, I think in pictures very vividly. You know, uh, Joe and I were talking on our first podcast about how my parents had me go to a doctor to see if I had any learning difficulties. Specifically, my dad thought I had uh, dyslexia and the doctor came back with, no, she's fine. She's just a bit slow. But literally, as you're talking about all of this, Tom, I'm like this. I I do that. I do that. That's now I. I feel like by the time we end this season, Joe, I will be like, <laughs> I have all of them. I've collected You've all of them. You've got like the infinity gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> Neurodivergencies. <laughs> I got that one as well. Yeah, That's nice. me. But That's very funny. Po- the, Pokemon, the Pokemon of neurodivergence. Exactly. Catch them all. Exactly. But it's so interesting, like, as you're saying, like, if you had uh, – uh, known earlier or like maybe you could have become like a doctor or like you didn't like doing this so you would have gone over and painted something I feel like when you are neurodivergent if you can't fit in that box you often a person often leans towards more creative outlets and that's one reason why we become such wonderful interesting people that's why you're such a funny and amazing comedian Tom oh, that's, that's well, and likewise, both of you. Oh, um, I don't know. So I, I had this argument with my parents. It wasn't an argument. It was a discussion. But um, why they didn't send me to sort of a specialized school. And the actual reason, one of the points that was made was that they th- actually thought that it would maybe have restricted me to have been um, held back with other kids who were struggling and we'd have struggled together. Whereas if you're thrown in at the deep end, you sort of naturally try and catch up. So they framed it very much, a, you know, no, surround yourself with people at this level. And that means you will naturally try and get to that level ra- rather than. That's such a boomer mentality. Yeah, it is. It is, a very, like, bo- like, it is no, a very boomer mentality. I, I mean, I think my parents would say a similar thing, and I, I, I'm not trying to sh- throw shade on your parents, uh, but I don't. Do you agree with that now? Do you think? I certainly am glad of the schooling I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think um, certainly creatively, I'm very happy with the way I think. I I enjoy it now. I've, especially now, I've found myself in a scenario where that's my job. Yeah, isn't it um, great to work in the spoken word? Like, it's brilliant. I, that's I love stand up comedy. I don't. I don't know about you and your process, but I don't write anything down verbatim. Like I'll I'll write a bullet note. Like I'll be like, oh, first date, and then I'll just know I go up and talk about the first date, and however it comes out of my mouth. Then mm-hmm. I can reshape it and reshape it until it's a proper joke, mm-hmm. but it never goes on the paper as as a joke when I'm writing it out. I don't know how how do you do it? No, I, I, I yeah, um, 
I sort of similar. I've got quite a tried and tested way of writing now. And you're right. The, the, the first stage is just maybe I'll write down in like iPhone notes or something the, the idea. Mm-hmm. And then think of maybe the checkpoints of the idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that normally happens as I'm going to sleep or if I'm on transport or doing so, you know, that, that just happens whenever I can never just sit down and go, right, I'm going to think of five different jokes today. I can't do that. It just happens sporadically throughout my life. Then I used to, I'd say what I used to do is to sort of firstly performing on stages where most of it gets written. Mm. Cause then you, I've been told I, I write very much, um, as I speak, which is not the correct way of writing. If you were writing a book, it wouldn't make any sense. But um, I also, I found out, I start sentences and then stop them and start a new sentence a lot, which is terrible for podcasts, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I did used to do this thing where I would, once I'd said it a few times on stage, told the story, I'd then try and write down the basic bits that got laughs, that I'd said Mm -hmm. what I used to do was once I'd got the sort of vague structure that I'd done on stage, I'd then take it back to my house. Then late at night I'd smoke a joint, put earphones on with like fun music. And I'd literally dance around my like move around my front room in circles while talking to myself and the movement and just the stuff would would make my brain go in different angles of how to think of stuff because you'd be caught up in doing stuff. And so you'd, you'd come off things like off the fly. I've since now, I'm not doing drugs. I now instead what I do, and I'd, I'd, I'd talk it out loud as well. I'd, I'd speak it. And my, my neighbors used to complain. I love this. But, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but, but, but now what I do is I do the same, but instead of smoking a joint and dancing, I go for a run. Mm-hmm. Because it's just a more healthy way of doing it, and it does. I, I, I am. That does mean that I am occasionally that gut, mad guy running through London, talking to himself while running. <laughs> but <laughs> there's something about exercise and moving that, like drugs, it puts your brain into a different way of thinking. It sort of simulates that adrenaline rush that you get on stage. So I find that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I I do a similar thing. Um... But I don't dance around my apartment, which now that you're saying that, I'm like, I should dance around my apartment more. I like dancing. It's really good. It's really good. And I've had just the movement of your body, getting different levels in the room. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know, you sort of, in your own brain, you can, it feels like you're in different situations. And the mood of the music can take you different places as well. Mm-hmm. And you can have conversations back and forth with yourself. I, I mean, it's it's what? It looks mad, yeah. But it, but it, there's a lot to be said for it. I think. I love the idea of you having a bit of new material that you write whilst you're listening to some heavy metal or something like that, and it being uh, sort of shifting between different music genres. Um, That's it. Yeah, depending on what the topic is, I'll I'll, I'll change the music genre. You, <laughs> like an old sort. Sorry. Do you have a specific music genre that you gravitate to? Or are you like, well, this 
this Edinburgh hour was mostly a ska hour, <laughs> and this one was more of a hip hop hour. Like, do you have that? I, I have had bits of that, but undeniably, the um, the overwhelming majority of music that I listen to for inspiration is musicals. We have so much in common. Because, I might just because, leave now and come back yeah, half an hour later. Sorry, well, it's, it's because for several reasons. One, it's in a, in a good musical, it's all different genres and emotions in what, like, mm-hmm. you get the happy, the sad. The entire orchestra is involved. So you've got the violin for sadness, you've got the trumpets for triumphant, you've got piano for everything, different drum beats. So there's a, it's literally the entire orchestra. It's the whole mix of emotions. And so, when I'm running, that's what I'll do. In the gym, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Yeah, I do a similar thing to you, Tom, where I, I talk to myself, but or I actually talk to people in my head. So, like, I will have a conversation with you or Joe in my head. That's obviously not real. Uh, but I don't move my mouth, but I will move my face and I will move my hands. So I'll just be sitting there and then all of a sudden I'll start to do like, I'll do this or I'll like roll my eyes to a point where my boyfriend, Tom Watts, different Tom for those listening on Mm -hmm. the podcast, uh, will sometimes look at me and be like, are you winning the argument this time? (laughs) (laughs) That's usually what's going on. But when I listen to musicals, I... I personally would, I think, struggle to write while listening to a musical because I can't listen to a musical without visualizing myself in the musical and acting out the whole musical. Interesting. So I, I can. I can just take the sort of the emotion, the feeling, and insert. I insert the musical's emotional feeling into my situation rather than myself into the musical situation. I think because I wanted to be a Broadway actor so bad, I insert myself. <laughs> Again, my boyfriend. Oh, I, I watched that show you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I watched that show. Yeah, I wanted it so bad. I wanted it so bad. Oh, the nodules, right? It was the nodules. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well remembered. Well remembered. I, I like your, your work very much, Abs. Thank you. I'm a big fan. As I, I, I like yours, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for being here, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joe, you got great shoes. You got yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. I'm so interested in that sort of like you said that your your brain goes fast in your hand, and that sort of like, and I don't want to sort of like romant. There's a sort of idea to over romanticize the idea that all dyslexic people are creative and brilliant speakers, but there definitely does seem to be some sort of link between dyslexia and being good at speaking and the spoken word and and that sort of creativity is that fair to say i um i've certainly found that a lot of people you 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 do think maybe just slightly off the beaten track um and certainly the my my brain thinks quicker than than my hands or even my mouth sometimes i've got so i've got a bunch of mates of mine who we all go on um, like lads holidays with and they've got and we all get very drunk and it's all all a bunch of comedians and um we've got this thing now because what i will do is if we're if we're having a co- an argument and talking i quite often will say something that I, my let's say we're talking about um mobile phones i will then say something completely random 
and they'll be like, what? That doesn't, that doesn't connect to the, the thing we've been talking about at all. And we do this thing where it's now called lily padding. And they, they say, <laughs> we, need, we need the lily pads to how you got there, Tom. And they say, oh, well, you were talking about phones, which made me think about connection, which made me think about Connect Four, which made me think about Buckaroo and childhood games. So, so that's why you said donkeys. I was like, yeah. Was like, like, yeah, but you didn't say all the bits in the middle. I was like, yeah, I know. Right. Okay. And it's something that I've now realized that I do. And, it, and now that it's been pointed out, it's... I will say something. They'll go lily pads. I'll go. Oh right, yeah. This is this is this, <laughs> and and it's just because I'll I'll just get too caught up in the way in, in thinking. I, I wouldn't that is a lovely that... story, but I'm also just finding out I wasn't invited on the lads' holiday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is Sorry, really awkward now. <laughs> well, well I, full disclosure: we've been working our way up to to you because we, oh, I see, we, we don't you're want intimidated by me yeah we don't want such a ferocious yeah. monster <laughs> with such a reputation on our ones. i do party hard yeah you do you do very hard i understand hard. that no, that's very understandable famously known for it yeah. i love that term though lily padding that's perfect yeah that's just a- Oh, that feels like it's such a sorry, I can't, uh, but it feels like it's such a comics instinct as well of like, uh, like if you're comparing and someone says, I, you know, I work in um, uh, a cafe in your head, you go right cafe, you can talk about that, you can talk about that, 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 and you see all the possible links. Mm-hmm. Did you feel it helps because you're from I- I- improv roots, aren't you? I am. Yes. The, uh, the, the noise next door, my, um, my, my former lovers, all of them. <laughs> Um, it was 10 years in the, in improv with them. And then we started at university and it was like some of the happiest times of my life. It was great. I really loved it. Um, what we call that in the noise, we called it Rolodexing. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So like a Rolodex. So if, or in improv, if someone shouts out Batman, you instantly go Batcave, Alfred, Joker, Robin, Catwoman, Penguin, Two-Face. And it's like all those different things. And we used to do that in things like, um, for example, Gangster Rap. We used to do rap, uh, rap games. So in a rap, you'd have like, you'd have four rhyming couplets. So if you, like, for example, if you say any subject to me now. Uh, um. renaissance right so if it was the renaissance so let's uh, in my head straight away it goes to painting there um let's say you've got four rhyming couplets let's think so instantly you might go renaissance impressionist acrylic degar van gogh oil painting easel all those duh, 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 duh. so for the four raps what you want to do is the your punchline goes at the end. Mm-hmm. So let's say Van Gogh is your punchline because people blow. Like, oh, that's cool. Then the first line is just setting up what the premise is. So Renaissance. So that's for so this Renaissance painting. We'll say your second line should be your second punchline. Uh, so impressionist, and then the third one. Let's we'll say oil oil painting so god so the whole rap then is um i'll do lyrics so hard you'll end up fainting i'm speaking to you now about renaissance painting i know you'll follow me you'll get the gist 
Degar, he was an impressionist. It's no good, Rhea. I'm here to spoil all your thoughts because I'm over here painting with oil. I, I know that you love me. You love me so. But sorry for now. I've got to Van Gogh. So that would be the whole rhyme there. That was very, very, very slightly butchered. But you see how the, the Rolodexing works within the... Was that well explained? Yeah, that was well yeah, explained. Yeah, that, that, that was incredible. I think it... I'm There's hung so up many... on the fact that Van Gogh was a post-impressionist painter, but other than that, it was spot on. <laughs> I know. <It> was... <laughs> You're absolutely right. Was impressionist part of the Renaissance? Have I made that up? Uh, the Renaissance was way before. So Renaissance is like Da Vinci and Leonardo. Uh, is oh, Renaissance the... are the turtles. Are the oh, turtles. right. Well, there you go. You've, well, I, I've Rolodexed wrong, but you can... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there you go. So that... that, that... So like you said, Joe, the whole sort of seeing every angle of the thing. Yeah, that, that's what we used to call That was a very long window of me just going, yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested. So, 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 so growing up, you were struggling with that writing and now you're brilliant at speaking and, and the spoken word. Was there, were there moments where you went, this is, this, this is where my ideas come, come full? This is where my ideas come from. Well, sorry, where, where I, I, I stopped that sentence halfway through. Well, you was did, there a yeah. moment where, <laughs> Was there a moment where, where you realised... So, for, for example, there's a story about Benjamin Zephaniah, the, the dyslexic poet, where he was in school um, and he was told to write a story. And there's a whole lesson he's written, Once Upon a Time There Was a Dog or something like that. And, um, and then the teacher says, well, we're going to read our stories in front of the class. And he's thinking, oh, God, I haven't written a story. Um, and the first child goes up and, and just tells the story... And he goes, oh, that's what it is. And just gets up and improvises a story. And it's better than all the other written stories. And and mm-hmm. I wonder whether there was a point where you realised that the way in which you can put... That, was there a point where you realised that you can put your ideas across better through improvised spoken word or, the, or that sort of world rather than sitting down and writing it? I think... Yeah, I... I think a lot of my understanding of how I perform and everything came from, I, I was always the kid who sort of from five years old, I was performing Cats the Musical in a full leotard, ears, whiskers, tail on the stairs in front of my dad and all his army officer mates. That sounds way more <laughs> creepy than it actually should. And then I think I also... Um, like we did all productions, like we used to do productions of Jaws and everything. We'd have get all the sheets and stuff and the blue and we create models that were going underneath it and stuff. I drag my sister in. Um, at school, I would always try and direct stuff. And um, so I, I think just performing just very much became very much part of who I was. And I think also because I, I, I struggled with... Um, boarding school it's a very lonely existence when you're six years old and get separated from your family it's a very big hit um and laughter was always something that i felt if i got laughter out of people i definitely had a connection with them so laughter was something that i was drawn to straight away and i was always um make them laugh and if they're laughing with you they like you and so it it became a very a survival technique as well um, as far as um, 
yeah, the way that I write and everything. I, don't, I mean, I think that's probably why I went into improv comedy first, because there's no writing. Yeah. It was all making it up on the spot. And that felt so easy for me. And that's why. So when I left my improv group, I had eight months to write my first hour. And I always found like performers in general, I think you come from it from two, either one of two angles. You get those people who are just good at everything, but you're either a performer who has to learn to write or you're a writer who has to learn how to perform. Mm-hmm. For example, someone like Gary Delaney is quite clearly an amazing writer, but he's not a natural performer and he's learned how to perform. And I'm, I think Gary Delaney is amazing, but you can see what I mean there. Yeah. Um, whereas someone like, I don't know, like, uh, Matt Richardson or Larry Dean, these really, or Ross Noble, I guess, they're all natural performers. Mm. And then I'm sure they've had to learn the discipline of writing. I was definitely a performer who had to learn how to write. Um, and I really don't think, I, I look back at my first couple of shows and they, the punchlines aren't good. Tom Stade said to me, this once a bit of advice went if you really want to test your material um do your entire show don't take the microphone out the stand don't don't move your body at all and see if and see if the jokes hold up and i thought about that and i thought yeah no the most i need to do this otherwise it doesn't work Mm -hmm. and that's because it was weak writing hidden behind over the top performances i think they call it um, stool fucking in America, <laughs> where, where it's just like, it's not actually a good routine. You're just pretending to fuck a stool so everyone's laughing. But yeah. it's, not at, <laughs> it's not actually good written w- work. Yeah. So I went through a whole stage um, just before the lockdown, actually, where for the first 10 minutes of every show, I didn't take the mic out of the stand and tried to stand still just to, until I got my first applause break and then I'd take it out of the stand. Oh, fun. It's a really good... I'd advise you to do it. Just keep it in the stand and stand there and deliver your lines like this until you get your first applause break, and then you can go. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure Tom figured that out himself because he's 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 such a performer and he's been going forever. But the first time I ever heard that same technique is you know who does it, and it makes perfect sense, is Chris Rock. Does he? Is, yeah. So he'll ah. go down to the comedy cellar to try out new material. And you, you, I mean, you guys have seen Chris Rock. You know how bombat, like he's walking back and forth. He's shouting, he's screaming. You know, he's got this whole performance. And the comedy cellar in New York is very small, very intimate. And he'll just stand there and in a normal voice without his like, you know, levels of of uh, volume just say the jokes and mm. if they land there then he knows that they're ready f- to sprinkle on the rock magic as it were because my my first my, my my first ever opening joke that i um used to start it was it was about cats the musical on the stage uh, on the stage it was you know um my dad's the ex-head of the armed forces 
it's quite common for kids of army officers to follow their father's footsteps into the military as well. But I think doubts are raised about age seven when my parents were summoned to the foot of the stairs to watch Tom perform his one-man version of Cats the Musical. <laughs> like, so it's not massively a joke, is it? It's the joke is what I'm camp. <laughs> yeah. like is, is, is that the joke? Cause it's, and it relied on me going from, hi, I'm talking like this. And then woo. Mm. And waving my arms about loads. I go, cats, the musical. And it was like, audiences would laugh because they go, oh, that's clearly when we're meant to laugh rather mm. than they're actually laughing. Because it's not an actual, it's not really a joke. And then I remember... I would argue that it it it's, uh, plays with expectations because there's there's okay. the... There's where you're going with your dad being an army officer. But there's also, like, your vibe, Tom. Like, when you walk on stage, you don't look like the guy who knows all the words to Mr. Mistopheles. Like, I don't think people assume that okay. about you when you first walk on stage. Yeah, that's true. But okay, so well, I'm, I'm going to throw I'm... you a bone here and say that, that that's why that works. Maybe I'm being too harsh and, on myself. But... And then there's that performance. And there's the fact that, again, your vibe is what your vibe is on stage. And then when you go into that, like, that grandiose camp thing, it, it subverts everyone's expectation of who yeah. they're about to see. Because they think they're going to see a lad's lad. I, I think yeah, as, comics, we always, as comics, we always want the things we don't have do you know what i mean like because i i'm probably in the writer the other way around i'm a writer who's forced myself to perform i wish that i had you know that sort of perform when i see pe- those people who, who are natural performers i'm so jealous of that and i think it's because mm-hmm. the way that the stuff that comes natural to us well, well of course i can of course i can do that here's, here's a question which way round do you think's the easier one to be Well, uh, for I me, it's writer answer. performer. But um, but that's you think you think it's easier to be a writer who then learns performing? No, no, I think it's. Oh, hold on. I don't know because I'm this way around, and I think it's easier to be a performer and learn how to write. I'm I'm the way round you are, Tom. I'm a performer writer, and I agree with you. And also, like talking yeah. about like stripping back and not taking off the microphone. I went through a huge phase in my comedy career when jokes wouldn't land. So mm. my, my, uh, instead of just rewriting or just accepting it wasn't a joke, I was just like, maybe if I just say it louder and smile harder. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. But, oh, I'll just do a funny accent. And yeah, be good. exactly. That'll be it. But um, Joe, which one do you do you think it's right? I think it's interesting. Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I, I don't know, because I think, I suppose if, if you, I'm very jealous of people who have that natural performer thing where mm-hmm. they go on stage and they're affable and people like them, they connect with the audience, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't have that. And I think, if you have that, you've always got that in your back pocket. So you could, you know, there are, I won't name them, but there are comedians where that's literally all they have is they're incredibly affable. Oh, yeah. And actually, absolutely. they do well at gigs because the audience like them and they're affable and they chat to the audience and, you know, and they're as funny as, as you know, someone down the pub. And, um, and that really works. And I think, yeah, whereas I, there are very, you have to be a really good writer 
to have material that can override any performance skills you know i think there's a few comics like that but um it has to be very slick writing i agree i think because quite often crowds will laugh at a sentence which just has the right rhythm to it Mm. rather than an actual punchline you know if he said, and he said, oh, he went up at the end there, and there was a rule of three, <laughs> and like so, oh, and so, <clears throat> if you are one of these people who is, you know, more of a personality than a comedian, and again, <laughs> naming no names, but you can just get away with, you know, loud, well delivered bollocks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we all have to remember that no matter what is a very good actor that's who we're all... <laughs> i'll name the names yeah uh, edit that out joe no uh i don't care either way i don't care uh here i have a question for you uh tom horton uh yeah. as as someone who i will put it this way uh in your career as a comedian do you have a deep aversion to writing scripts a deeper version like do like so as, as it, we're talking about like your writing process and walking around the flat and the bullet notes and all of this stuff when it comes to sitting down and actually writing scripts like for sketches which i know you do do sketches and sketches. stuff stuff like that do you find it really hard to to write them or do you do you write them in a different way where you don't sit down to final cut and like write out a script like are you i have done i mean i i really struggle writing scripts mm. and actually uh so much so that i now want to go into doing documentaries because <laughs> it's a lot easier and it's what i'm naturally better at um but i did try i tried for ages to try and write a sitcom about the tower of london but i i just could never do it um the bits that really helped me was one um just start writing um don't try and paint the mona lisa in one go just someone said to me once the writing's in the rewriting yeah and that's a really good phrase the first draft of your script is just literally get it on down on paper because I don't know about you guys, but I always find if I'm looking over someone else's script, I can pick it apart and go, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But when it's my own, I can't. So the way around that I found was to just write it down, then maybe take a break for a couple of days, come back and then pick apart your own script. Yeah. Um, there's no right or wrong way of, to be productive. You've just got to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Again, Tom stayed who clearly I've had quite a few nights <laughs> on the sesh with Tom, but he told me like, the lad's holiday. Like, <laughs> uh, no, he's not. Again, <laughs> I like that. Absolutely. He, not. Absolutely. He, not. He's the, he's the stage before you, Joe. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I said to him, how do you get new material? And he said, he writes down a hundred questions and he writes 100 questions on his, in his notepad, and then he'll sit down, and for 20 minutes, he will free write on each question. Wow, that's so And great. then after that, he'll go through it and just highlight bits. That, and it's literally just not even thinking, just start on that question and just write, write, write for, tw- for 20 minutes, and that's one question done. 
And then once he's gone through all 100 questions, he'll go over it all. And then out of all that, he'll probably have a new hour. He's like, that's ridiculous. Mm. And that's something I could never do, but that's something he does. And yeah. So that's it. I think you can give all the advice you want, but at the end of the day, you as an individual have to figure out what works for you. And yeah. only you can do that. And if that is 20 minutes every week, that's better than nothing. It's don't beat yourself up about it. Just find what you what your groove is. Find how you can hit that wave to use your terminology. Yeah. I think that's such an important point for neurodivergent people because a lot of books about how to write, how to perform is always like, blah, 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 this is how you write, this is how you perform. But if all our brains are different, we need to work out what works for us. It's absolutely, it's completely unique and individual. Yeah. It's, true. And how beautiful is that? That means the whole reason we got into this industry, well, creativity, there is no by the rule book, black and white. It's all out in the open. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, in, I feel like, when I started at, as a stand-up comedian, everyone was like, you have to write every day. But no one tells you how to write. You're left to figure it out for yourself. And yeah, going back to what you've both said, it's just like you have to find your own way. There's no box. There's no perfect way to be a writer. There's no perfect way to be a performer. It's how you do it. Thank you so much for coming in on the podcast, Tom. It was fantastic talking to you. It's been wonderful. It's been it's been a nice exercise in just figuring out who each of us are. And I feel like we're all closer. We are, I do. Do you want to come on a stag lads holiday? <laughs> Finally I'm in. Yeah, you're in, mate. Uh, just this... an hour and twenty minutes of recording and then that that's it. You're invited to Ibiza. Um, so Tom, what have you got coming up that you'd want the people to check out? Uh, where are your socials? What, where can people find you? What's, what's going on in the world of Tom Horton? I will be doing Edinburgh for the first 12 days at the ballroom, but then also my second national tour will be happening January, February, March. So if you want to come to that, then follow me on socials. My handle is at Honorable Tom. Honorable Tom on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and you have a Facebook page, right? I do have a Facebook page, but definitely Instagram and TikTok are the big ones. Yeah. And uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. And yeah, we'll talk to you later, dude. Thank you. Thank you both. Cheers, guys. Bye. Hey, Abigail, do you know about Podspike? I do know about Podspike because they are, in fact, our sponsor of this podcast. They are brilliant. They, If you are someone who is developing your own podcast, it can be very hard to get seen, get noticed by people, get in the ratings, um, get shout outs on social media. Podspike can help you. Uh, to promote your podcast but they do it in a small manageable way instead of spending thousands and thousands of pounds on a big PR team you can just pay a small amount of money and little bite-sized chunks and you can see where that money's being spent yeah they do stuff like help optimize your numbers and clicks Um, they can even help improve your artwork Um, put a spotlight on your show with features and newsletters and get more listeners with a high ROI spots in the podcast apps Here's a question. If uh, this 
podcast fails, which I, I don't think it will. I think it's going well. But if you have to start a new podcast, what, what are your podcast ideas? I would do a podcast where I do a deep dive on all the things that British people say I do wrong or <laughs> is a bit weird because I'm American. It's just like when you say, because you said mate to me the other day and you've mentioned this before and you're right, it does sound strange coming from you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I uh, I now say mate, but I still say dude because I am a child of the 90s. So <laughs> my vocabulary no longer makes sense. And uh, uh, no matter how many times people tell me it's a jumper, I will always call it a sweater. <laughs> What about sweater's you? Been, the sweater's been brought into our culture. I think the, you've won on, America's won on the sweater. We win so. on so many things because we are the greatest country in the world. <laughs> okay, this is going to get us canceled right away. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you had a podcast other than this podcast, what would it be about, Joe? So I was thinking, Jerry Seinfeld's done well with comedians and cars getting coffee. My idea is comedians and cars running late for the gig. Uh, <laughs> So just that stress of we've got to be there at eight. Satnev says seven fifty nine. The promoters, so you'd have special guests would be the promoter calling, like getting angry, going, "Where are you?" Um, there's there's traffic, there's jeopardy. That's my idea. Just talking about all the closures on the M one, it'd be beautiful. <laughs> I think you'd see a, a different side to a lot of comics that are sort of fun and upbeat, but seeing them running late to the gig and all that stress. And, you know, it's what someone's fault because they didn't get to the meeting point quickly enough and they're to blame. I think you'd see a lot of drama. It'd be very exciting. Oh, that would be fun. And then you get to watch uh, the ones who were on time to the meeting point going, no, really, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, and you know what? If either of us decide to start these podcasts, uh, we can use Podspike to help us get the word out about it. Yes. Yeah, it's no fake followers, no complicated strategies, and no minimum commitment. So you can do you can use their services for as long and as much as you want. So check out Podspike at podspike.com. Podcast marketing made easy. That was Tom Horton. Tom Horton. That was lovely. That it was, was lovely. lovely. It's weird because we've been doing comedy for so long, but talking to him about writing made me be like, oh, I can do it differently than I've been <laughs> trying to do it and failing. <laughs> so I think often when you talk with other comics, you don't, you maybe talk about a bit that's not working, or you might talk about gigs and other comics and promoters, blah, blah. But you don't often go right back to the, to, you know, that sort of, the base of like how do you come up with an idea for the start um it's rarely have that conversation but i'm going to start having it more i think yeah you save the whole process conversation for podcasts (laughs) we're living in on stuart goldsmith's territory yeah yeah by the way i've been just to shout it out talking about writing i have been listening to a podcast by mike berbiglia who is an American comic who does, like, storytelling shows. Hmm. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but I highly recommend, if no one is, to check him out. But he has a podcast called Working It Out, where he has comedians on, and at the end of it, they go through bits and and kind of workshop them on the podcast. So it's not a neurodivergent podcast, but for those of you, 
anyone who's like, I want to hear more stuff like about writing process, I highly recommend that one. Mike Birbiglia, Working It Out. I need to get on that to work out my Edinburgh show. Yeah. Also, please uh, uh, hit subscribe and give us five stars. Speaking yes. of podcasts. <laughs> we, can, we keep poking um, into the bottom of the charts, but I'm hoping we can get top 100. Yeah, we're going to get it. I can feel it. I can feel it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen very soon. But, uh, yeah, and speaking of neurodivergent moments, which we weren't speaking of, but segues, <laughs> um, we've got some great listener emails to read out. We do. Do you want to go first? You told me you have a very sweet one. Yeah, I have a very sweet one. Um, this is from Sarah, who is uh, from Australia. And, uh, yeah, so this came, uh, just so you guys know, little context. This is, uh, I'm pretty sure she wrote this right after the Beck Hill um, interview where we talked about life admin skills. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back, check it out. Also another very interesting podcast, but it starts with, and she love bombs us a bit. So, you know, (laughs) as an American, I'm like, keep talking girl. So this is from Sarah. Hey guys, absolutely loving the podcast. Girl, we love you. (laughs) Just listened to the latest episode about life skills and I felt like a very happy little nerd because it's taken me years to figure out how to best manage the never-ending to-do list that comes with my role managing workplace health and safety. I thought I would share my version of the whiteboard and post-it note, which is instead an Excel spreadsheet. Wow, you're serious, girl. And I copy and paste and move things around in. Thought you might appreciate it. I'm autistic and have ADHD, so my mind is in a constant battle. The process seems to satisfy both sides of my brain. It's the first thing I open when I turn on my computer each morning, and I set aside time on Friday Arvo, Arvo meaning afternoon in Australia, (laughs) uh, to set up the basics for the following week. It helps me stop stressing over the weekend as to what I have to do on Monday and give me a dopamine hit when I look at all the greens and it helps me write my reports. Without this tracking, by the time I go to write reports, I've been so busy doing things I couldn't remember what I've actually done. Also, helps to take note of the little interruptions and tasks thrown at me throughout my day so I can easily pick up where I've been distracted or unfocused versus where I'm I've actually been taken to manage other tasks. I'm about to be a new homeowner, and I've already started applying these skills to how I manage all the legal stuff, the house move, and how I need to maintain upkeep on the house. Hopefully, it translates well. Thanks for the wonderful podcast. Looking forward to listening to many more. Sarah. Oh, that's so awesome, Sarah. And she has sent... Has, has she included the spreadsheets? Yeah, she has sent these spreadsheets, and they are gorgeous. And as someone who doesn't even know how to write a spreadsheet, I am so very impressed, and I will never do this, but I love that this works for you. So you know, sometimes when you're looking at the charts, it's easy to see the people at the top and go, oh, look at... I wish I was Josh Widdicombe, top of the charts of his parenting podcast, but I bet he doesn't get... Excel spreadsheet sent to him by his listeners. So we've got that. Exactly. And it's like Monday, she has the date, all these things she does complete, you know, in green, it's completed, it's canceled, it's in progress. 
Um, in progress is yellow, completed is green, planned is in blue. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, I don't know if we should put this out on our socials, but I think it would be okay to put it on our on our uh, Patreon so people could see. Yeah, this. we can email her and check it's okay to put out. But yeah, yeah, I'll it's... email her right when we get off here and just ask her if that's okay. And uh, and it's absolutely wonderful. She has a tracking sheet. Um, download, downloading. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. She's given me all of her dates. Oh, my God. Going up through March. Wowie. Oh, you're so... Sarah, you are so organized. I'm totes jelly. Um, I think this is absolutely beautiful. I, I like seeing how other people manage uh, life and manage life and how their brains work. And I just, I just find it so helpful and lovely. So thank you for sharing, Sarah. Thank you. You are a dream. And congratulations on your new home. I have one that is, uh, I, I've skim read this. And okay. I think I know what happens in it, and I think that it's, um, I think it's going to be exciting. Um, so this is, uh, they want to be anonymous. Uh, I, it's a, I believe, a woman's name. Uh, do you want to give me a a, a name? Uh, let's call her Cynthia. Okay, Cynthia. Uh, so Cynthia says. Uh, so this is my neurodivergent moment and it has haunted me for many years. So what better way to slay the demon that haunts my thoughts than to hopefully have this story aired for all to hear. It is being aired. When I was at secondary school, I was obviously a bit different because hello undiagnosed autism. Anyway, there was this lad in an outside school friend group that I had a huge crush on. Teenage girl meets aloof lad that seems to hate her guts, but I've seen enough teen romance films to know that he was just shy. Oh no, Cynthia. So I was asking him if I could have a photo of him. Not one I've taken, but one he already had. He refused at first, then gave me a picture of himself when he was a little boy. This is where the nightmare begins. I cherished and treasured this photo, because he gave it to me, his hands had held it, and my overattachment was fulfilled. Someone at school asked me who was in the photo. Here's where the nightmare occurred. Random kid of my year says, Oh, who's that? Me, answering honestly, without thinking about the way it could look. Oh, it's a boy I fancy. Cue disgusted look from this kid and they walked off calling me names. I had no idea what I'd done wrong because hello undiagnosed autism. Looking back, <laughs> I realised that yes, it was a lad I fancied. But I hadn't thought to mention that the lad in the picture was our age. It was just an old photo. So you can imagine the years that followed where I struggled to make sense of this interaction. Many years later, I realised what had happened. Traumatic to say the least. So that's my story. One of many where I didn't realise how I came across. Thanks, love the show. I'd like to remain anonymous because of the trauma. Thanks, Cynthia. Oh, Cynthia, darling. Oh, <laughs> Babes, we've all done awkward things when we were young and in love. You are not alone, girl. <laughs> it's a boy I fancy, and it was a young boy. <laughs> it was a boy I fancy, and he gave a picture of him when he was even younger, so it just looks we all... <laughs> It's better that happens when you're a teenager than when you're an adult, I suppose. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, you know what? I, I think you have to release this trauma because, uh, yes, it was traumatic at the time, but now you have a great funny story to look back on. And that's what you have to remember. <laughs> and and what's this guy doing now? 
And what's this guy who was making fun of you doing now? They're not fabulous. They're not fabulous like you, Cynthia. They're not getting read aloud on podcasts. Yeah, they don't have the bravery (laughs) to be like, have I got a story for you? They don't have that. You have that. You're a freaking winner. (laughs) So if you have a moment that you would like your own moment, uh, then you can send them in. Yeah, please, by all means, send them in. Uh, NeurodivergentMomentsPod at gmail.com. Send them over. We uh, always love reading them. Yeah. And before we go, Joe, do you have anything coming up that you want to tell our dear listeners about? Well, as you're hearing this, we will be... I'll be driving towards Latitude, probably, as you're listening to this. Um, are you staying the Friday night? I am staying the Friday night. I'll yeah, be there all so weekend. Sorry. We'll be on our way or at the campsite. So um, if, if you're listening to this the day it comes out and you happen to be at Latitude Festival, then come see us. Come see us live. Yeah, we'll be performing, uh, doing a live version of our podcast uh, at the Listening Post. I still don't think we're allowed to tell what time we're on now, but if you get I the... think we are, because we're on, we're on the app. Is the app up? Yeah, up? the app is out, so okay. we are 12.30. 12.30 at the Listening Post. We'll be doing a live recording, and uh, we would ask our listeners there at Latitude to give neurodivergent moments there uh, in the moment. It's going to happen. We have a wonderful guest lined up. So please come, and you'll be doing stand-up at Latitude as well, won't you, Jim? Yeah, I'm there in the late in the afternoon. I've forgotten my time. 4.20, I remember 4... it, 4.20 at the outpost. Um, and we're both at the Edinburgh Fringe. We are. I'll be performing at 6.20 at the Tron. My show's called Legally Cheeky. Please come and say hi. Joe, where and when are you on? I am midday, and the show's called I Am Autistic, and I'm at the Banshee Labyrinth. Awesome. Can I give a little plug to a, a club that I played that is run by one of one of our people? And it was absolutely lovely. And it's a little independent club called Jack's Comedy Club on the Isle of Wight. If you're based on the Isle of Wight, go and check it out. I was there at the weekend. It was absolutely lovely. Um, you know those little independent comedy clubs where there's just a, an up-and-coming comedian running it and booking all their favourite comedians. It was that kind of vibe. It was lovely. I uh, Jack and I have emailed back and forth, and I have yet to be able to confirm a date with him. But... Uh, I've heard wonderful things about this club and I can't wait to check it out. So It was lovely. What's, what's the name of it one more time? It's called Jack's Comedy Club. It's in Jack's. Ride on the Isle of Wight. And the best part is afternoon show. I don't know why there's not more of them. It was absolutely lovely. I was home Perfect. in bed by 7 o'clock. Ugh, that's the dream. <laughs> that's the dream. Um, that might sound weird to people, but when you haven't had dinner or a normal bedtime uh, <laughs> for like 10 years, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the best. Um, that's often like like comedians showing off to each other it'll be showing off by how early they got in from their gigs like yeah well I got in at 10 (laughs) o'clock yeah everyone's like let's go out on the weekend and you're like oh I got to stay in it was great (laughs) Uh, cool well guys thank you so much for listening as always uh, spread the word tell your friends about the podcast give us five stars rate and review thank you for being here we're having a lovely time it's been lovely, yeah. We've got. Uh, oh, we got. Are we, should we say who we got next fortnight? Uh, we've got yeah. Rialina next fortnight. Yes, Rialina is going to be on. Uh, you might. Have I'm seen very excited. Her... is is one of my favourite comedians and um, such interesting and insightful person. I had lots of conversations with her before I had my diagnosis about when I was on the waiting list, and um, she is a very insightful and thoughtful person. 
she's great. We talked about dating. She's she's back in the market again. So we talk about neurodivergencies and dating. So get ready for that, guys. It's coming. We'll see you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight.